Luke chapter 3 and verse number 4, Luke chapter 3 and verse number 4, we are in a series that we kicked off last Sunday called Today is the Day of Salvation. And today we're going to go a little further in this series out of Luke chapter 3 and verse number 4, as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice, everybody say the voice, the voice of this one crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Everybody say, prepare the way. John said, prepare the way. Isaiah said, prepare the way. Uh, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be brought low and the crooked places shall be made straight. The rough ways shall be made smooth so that all Flesh, Aren't you glad that includes you and me this morning? All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And I want to preach to you for the next few minutes on this simple thought, prepare the way. Would you just ask Jesus to talk to you for the next couple of minutes of our time together? Jesus, we call on you and we ask that you would speak to all of us here today. God, I pray that you would talk to us in the next few minutes of our time together. God, we need to hear from you. God, we want your voice to speak clear, loud, strong. Let someone come to a place of repentance. Someone understand their need for baptism. Someone come to a place where they are ready to be filled with your spirit. I thank you for what you're doing, and I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And let everyone say amen. Amen. Turn around, high five somebody as you're seated, smile at them with all the teeth you brought with you today. NASA's space shuttle program existed for some 45 years. Over 135 missions, 355 astronauts from 16 different countries left the Earth's atmosphere and traveled around the globe in the shuttle that you see on the screen, or one of the shuttles, like the one you see on the screen. Of interest to me was this whole complex process and piece of property, and so I was intrigued when in about 2008, uh, I was visiting and preaching in a church in that area, Titusville, Florida, and a friend of mine who uh, at that time worked on NASA's shuttle program was able to get me a behind-the-scenes pass to go kind of where most eyes don't get to see. And I got to tour things like the uh, VAB building or the Vehicle Assembly building that you see on the left of the screen. That the largest building by volume in the world for many years and is still currently the largest single-story building in the world where the shuttles would be assembled and they would be put on uh, their, their crawlers. They would be assembled and transported from there to three launch sites, one of three launch sites like the ones that you see at the right of the screen. It would be transported from this vehicle assembly building to the launch site by NASA's uh, three crawler transports, they call them. These vehicles are the largest tracked vehicle in the world, weighing in at over six million pounds apiece, 
and with eight sets of tracks on them, the shuttle would be lowered by onto this crawler and would be transported to uh, one of the launch sites at a blistering speed of barely one mile an hour. <laughs> These transporters would each cost in the neighborhood of a cool $130 million when they were built, of course, a lot more by today's standards. But as I visited these buildings and, and got to even look inside the Space Shuttle Discovery, which happened to be in for maintenance at that time, and examined all of this process of how this goes down, uh, when it took me behind the scenes in this tour, one thing that fascinated me was this path that went from the vehicle assembly building to the launch pad. From the vehicle assembly building where the shuttle would be put together, there was this long path, uh, two paths actually, one that is 3.4 miles long, one that's 4.2 miles long. And these paths were of incredible importance because it would be on these, these paths that were uh, dug out and they were placed rock on these paths, seven foot deep of rock in each of these tracks, and not just any rock, but a specific mixture of Alabama and Tennessee river gravel. I don't know if we got any folks from Alabama or Tennessee here. Uh, I know we've got at least one Alabama dude that's probably not wanting to admit it today, but these tracks would be dug out and, and this rock from Alabama and Tennessee uh, in the rivers, this specific rock would be packed in seven feet deep. And, and this specific rock, because it was uh, a low friction rock, they said, that was uh, the least likely rock they could find that would cause any sparks or that could cause any fires as this heavy vehicle would crawl over the pathways. This crawler way uh, would be so long and all this rock packed in, 4.2 miles long, 6 million pounds of vehicle plus the weight of the shuttle on top of that. And the preparation of this path was critical. The preparation of this path was intense because they would have to make sure that, that every single rock was leveled out just right. They would have to make sure that every single rock was, uh, was flattened and compacted just right because billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars would be traveling on this path fascinated me because literally millions of hours, man hours of research and development, decades of work, billions and billions of dollars worth of equipment would travel on a simple rock path, a very simply put together rock path, a rock path that really just about any landscaping company, he told me, could put together. Wasn't even a fancy curb to this path. They had railroad ties staked down along the path. Billions of dollars transported on maybe some of the same river rock that you have in your front flower bed. Sometimes the success of the greatest endeavors and missions hinge on very simple paths. Sometimes the greatest destinations are come to on the path that is very simple. 
Sometimes it's the simple things. It's the things that are right under our nose. It's the things that we might not think too deeply about or too interested in that will take us to a destination that we never would have imagined before. No doubt many here, you've been on a vacation or on a back road somewhere just driving down a simple two-lane road only to come upon some incredible viewing place or incredible attraction. I know as we drove through the Smoky Mountains last year, it would be just windy two-lane roads and then there'd just be a clearing in the middle of that road and open up into a beautiful scenic view. And the simplest of path would lead to the greatest observations or the greatest of places. Sometimes it's the simple things that take us to great destinations. And so it was with the ministry of Jesus Christ that before the ministry of Jesus Christ, which would be, I guess you could say, the great destination that all of us would look and long to, to have his ministry and his message and his gospel applied to our lives. But the Bible tells us that the ministry of Jesus Christ was brought to us on a very simple path. Just like NASA would put billions of dollars on a few thousand dollars of river rock. The, the, the great ministry of Jesus Christ, the redeemer of all mankind, the savior of all the world, God became flesh, would come to us not in a way that many would think he would come to us, but he would come to us uh, on a very simple path. In fact, he would ride the path that was paved out by the one referred to in our text that we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached a message that would be the preparing of the way of Jesus Christ. It would be John's message that would level the path, that would compact it down, that would make it straight and prepare all of us to receive the ministry of Jesus. And John's message and his ministry was simple. John's message and his ministry probably wouldn't fit well in 2023. John's message and his ministry probably wouldn't make for good TV broadcasting. It probably wouldn't get a lot of views on Instagram. John's message and his ministry probably wouldn't get a lot of followers or likes. It probably wouldn't get a lot of subscribers on YouTube. But John's ministry was critical because it was the ministry of John that would prepare the way of Jesus. Now, John himself said this, and it was an echoing of the words of the prophet Isaiah. He said, I have come to prepare the way. I've come to prepare the path because there's one that's coming after me who is greater than I am and it's his ministry that you really want to see. It's his ministry that you really want to focus on. It's him that you're really longing and looking for. So I've just come to prepare the path. Those were the words that Isaiah used in the prophet Isaiah's writing and in his book. He said, there is one going to come who is going to prepare 
the way. He is this one, he would be called the voice crying out in the wilderness. Matthew 3 says that this was spoken of the prophet Isaiah by the one of this man named John, this one who would cry in the wilderness, prepare ye the way. And Isaiah 40 and 3 is where he would be referencing this verse from when Isaiah said the voice of him who cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight a desert in the highway. What was he referring to? In ancient roads or ancient paths that led into cities. It would be often that those roads were nothing more than a trampled down, dusty path. But when a king was coming to town, there would be a runner that would go ahead of the king, sometimes as much as a mile or two ahead of the king. And the runner would be the only announcement. There was no Twitter there was no Facebook events that you could create and invite everybody to the community center because the king was coming on May 14th. But there would be a runner that would run physically ahead a couple of miles of the king's entourage. And he would shout, prepare ye the way, the king is coming. And when that runner would shout, prepare the way, literally shopkeepers, mothers, fathers, children, students in school, teachers teaching, would drop what they were doing and they would run into the street and they would begin to smooth out potholes. We need some of that in Illinois, by the way. They would begin to smooth out potholes. They would start packing dust into every divot. They would clean out the branches and the brush. And if there was any manure from the last caravan that went by, they'd get that out of the road. Everybody would drop what they are doing to prepare a proper way for the king to come into town. And so the prophet Isaiah said, this one called John the Baptist is going to be the voice that prepares the way. How does a voice prepare the way? Because this way is a spiritual way. It's not a physical dusty path, but it's a spiritual way. And so John's voice would prepare the way. And what did John preach? John preached a message of repentance. John told the people, if you want the king to come into your life, you've got to be willing to repent. That's why he said in Matthew 3 and 2, repent ye therefore for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was preaching a message of repentance to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, Luke chapter 3 says he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance and the remission of sin. Mark made it clear. Matthew made it clear. Luke made it clear. All in their gospels that John's ministry was to inaugurate the ministry of Jesus Christ. And his ministry was simple. He wasn't preaching some series about wisdom on Wednesday nights like we're here doing it here at the sanctuary. He wasn't preaching some special message for this day and that day. He had one message. Can you imagine coming to church every Sunday and I preach the same message every Sunday? <laughs> I can't either, don't worry. <laughs> I can't either. Can you imagine how, 
How how boring that would be, how laborious that would be. You come here and I preach the same text and the same exact message every single Sunday. But that's what John did. Why? Because there is only one way to prepare the way for the king of kings. And that is make the path straight. Repent ye of your sins. Repent, 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 repent. That's what he said. If you want the king to come in your life, you've got to be willing to repent. And I've come to preach some 2,000 years later that the truth is still remains. That if you want the king to come in your life, you've got to be willing to prepare the path with repentance. You've got to be willing to prepare your heart with repentance. If today is the day of salvation, somebody needs to prepare the path by repenting of your sin. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You can be seated. We prepare the way of the king by repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is very simply, uh, by definition, it is a change of mind, a change of direction. Repentance uh, is a turn around. Repentance is that I've been walking this way, but I repent. I ask God to forgive me of my sins, uh, and I make a turnaround in that prayer. I decide that I'm going to walk, talk, and live another way. You say, preacher, uh, that's sounds good, but I've tried to do better lots of times. How many have? Come on, don't be ashamed. I'm with you. We've tried to do better and failed. But when you try on your own, you're going to fail every time. But when you repent of your sins, when you tell Jesus, Lord, I am sorry. I want to turn around. I want to change my mind. I want to change my direction. Repentance is a turn from sin and turn towards God. And when you pray that kind of prayer, you've got a God that is ready to hear your prayer of repentance. Hear me this morning. I'm not going to preach much longer today. I'm, I'm telling you, God is ready to hear anyone and everyone's prayer of repentance. God is ready to hear anyone and everyone that says, I am sorry for my sins. I am turning from my sins and I am turning towards Jesus Christ. I want my life to please Him. I want my heart to please Him. I want my decisions to please Him. That's what repentance is. But can I tell you, sometimes uh, we focus, uh, when we talk about repentance, we focus so much on what we are turning from. Like, man, you've been living in sin. You need to repent. You need to turn your back on all that stuff you've been doing. And that may be the case. You need to turn your back on bad attitudes and addictions and bad behaviors and sin that separates us from God, Right? But sometimes I I think we miss the the real power of repentance when we focus on what we're turning from. Repentance is a turnaround. But hear me today. Repentance, I believe, has less to do with what you are turning from as it does with who you are turning to. Let me say it again. Repent. 
repentance is less about what I'm turning from. Yes, you may have made mistakes. Yes, you may have messed up. Yes, you may have been living in sin. Yes, you may have regrets in your life. Yes, there's things you need to fix about your life. But the beauty of repentance is I'm not focused on what I'm turning away from. I'm looking at who I am turning to. And when I pray a prayer of repentance, I am turning my face to Jesus Christ. I am preparing the path that I can get to him and he can get to me. I'm preparing the path that I can come to where he is and his presence can come to where I am. That's repentance. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. That's why John said, prepare ye the way. Make his paths straight. Make the crooked places straight. That's what repentance is. Repentance is when I say, Lord, I am sorry for the crooked ways in my life, for the broken ways in my life. And John said, every mountain shall be brought low and every valley shall be brought up. Meaning, we're gonna level the playing field. Oh, I love this. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every valley shall be brought up. You know what that's saying to me? That says that anybody can find Jesus Christ. Anybody can have access to him. Anybody can access him. Come here, Asher. Come here, Jacob, real quick. Run up here, both of you guys, real quick. Asher, down here. Jacob, up here. Repentance says, repentance, in our mind, in our mind, we think those that are on the mountaintop of life like Jacob here. You know, he's a good dude, man, sharp-dressed man here today. Looked good in the Mother's Day video, Jacob. We think people that are on the mountaintop, they get to find God. You know, people who are like churchy folks. (laughs) People who know what to do every Sunday at 10 a.m. People who show up. People who pay their tithes and offerings and they dress right and act right and they talk right, all that stuff. We think the churchy folks are the ones that are on the mountaintop, that they're the ones that find God. But these folks, like these scoundrels down here, man, (laughs) I'm like our heavenly father, though I love you even when you are a scoundrel. That's my son. I don't just randomly kiss kids' heads in the church, okay? (laughs) For all of our guests, this is my son. (laughs) My guy's a weird church, man. The pastor goes kissing these kids' heads in the middle of his message. What's going on? (laughs) We think that these scoundrels that are way down here they, they, like, they, they, they struck, man, I don't know if you, they could ever live right. I don't know if they could ever find God. I don't know if they could ever, you know, that you got these people who are spiritual and these people who are godly and these people who do right and they don't struggle, you know, these people who don't struggle with the thoughts that you struggle with, these people who don't have the mind monsters that you have, these people who don't have the bad days that you have, man, they have an easy access to God, but I'm down here in this valley. But let me tell you what repentance does. Uh, repentance levels up the playing field. Because John said, every valley shall be brought up. That means you get to come up here. And every mountain shall be brought low. That means you come right here. That means no matter where you're at in your walk with God, repentance is the great equalizer. Repentance brings the mountaintop folk down and brings the valley dwellers up. And repentance is the way that every one of us can have access to Jesus. Jesus Christ.
Christ. All you've got to do is repent. All you've got to do is say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. And if you'll do that, every one of you have access to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, somebody give him praise right now. Somebody give him praise right now. Somebody give him praise right now. Everybody, everybody has access. Woo. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Today, God wants everybody to repent. You know what God does? He wants you to believe his word over the lie of the enemy. And the lie of the enemy, the lie of the enemy says you've done too much. You've messed up too bad to ever get your life right. The lie of the enemy says your sins are too big. The lie of the enemy says you could never fix this. You've got too many issues. You've got too many habits and hangups in your life. Uh, hear me, the lie of the enemy says, says there's no way you could ever live right and you feel so guilty here today. But I'm here to preach to you that in repentance you'll find that God's grace is greater than your biggest mistake. God's grace is greater than your biggest sin. That's why John said if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I may be preaching to somebody here this morning that's struggling to forgive yourself, but I'm going to tell you that if Jesus Christ can forgive you, you ought to forgive yourself. And if Jesus Christ can forgive you, he'll give you the power to forgive yourself. That's why he said in Jeremiah, he said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more forever. I will never hold it against you again. Somebody here today needs to know that your life is not defined by the mistakes you've made. Your life is not defined by your past. Your life doesn't have to be defined by what you've done. You are not what you've done. You are who Jesus says you are. And Jesus says, you are my child. You are my kid. I feel the Holy Ghost here. The enemy, the enemy of your soul wants you to personalize and internalize your failure. The enemy of your soul wants you to personalize and internalize your failure. So that you don't just think, I made a mistake. He gets you to thinking, I am a mistake. I'm talking to somebody here today. The enemy gets you to thinking not just that you stumbled and fell, but I am a failure. That is a lie of the enemy. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by your issues. But if you'll prepare the path of repentance, you will find out that you are defined by who God says you are. And he said in 2 Corinthians, therefore if the Son therefore has made you free, you shall be free indeed. You may have made a mistake, but you're not a mistake. You're a child of God. 
You may have stumbled and fell, but you're not a failure. You're a child of God. Hear me today. Failure is an event. Failure is not a person. Failure is an event. Failure is not your identity. Your identity is to be found in Jesus Christ. That's why Proverbs said, even a righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Even a righteous man, even the godly men and women, even those spiritual churchy folk up on the mountain, even they fall down. But you know what they do? They get up again. How do you get up? By repentance. By saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. That's why he said in 2 Chronicles, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Everybody say, and. And pray. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. That tells me it is entirely possible to pray without humility. Well, let me say that again. It's possible to pray without humility. But prayers that are minus humility do not move heaven and they do not change anything on earth. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek. That's what I do in repentance. In repentance, I bow, I bow a heart, maybe even bow a knee, and I say, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. God, I want you to forgive me of anything in the path of my life. God, that is displeasing to you. Anything in the path of my life that would keep your presence away. Anything in the path of my life, God, that would exclude me from your mercy and your goodness in my life. That's what happens when I repent. I don't just recognize my sin, but I confess my sin. And I don't just confess my sin, but I am sorry for my sin. And I'm not just sorry for my sin, but I make a decision to turn my back on sin. And I don't just turn my back on sin, but I determine I'm not going to go back to it ever again. With the help of God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. Why don't you stand together with me? I feel the Holy Spirit moving in this place uh, in such a powerful way. God's presence is in this room. Somebody just talk to him right now. Come on, all across this auditorium. Somebody just begin to respond to the moving of the Spirit that's in this place. Hallelujah.